Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hi, everyone. It's Doc with a special announcement. We are going to take a cruise through some of our most popular episodes from prior seasons to get everyone fired up. Now, our new content will continue to drop on Saturdays each week, but we will also be re-releasing these great episodes on Monday for your morning commute. I know you've all heard about Classic Rock. Well, we're going to call these episodes Classic Doc. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy the ride. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakamere Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Most of the time, you don't think. No point. Instead... You exist in a kind of mobile zen mode, your brain like a balloon tethered with a string, accompanying but not actually part of the body below. Walking for hours and miles becomes as automatic, as unremarkable as breathing. Bill Bryson. I remember the, the entries of this kid named Croatoan, another kid from the East Coast, and his trail journals were just sad. They were just like, he's just like, He's like, I did, I did 24 today. I didn't see anybody. I thought I would catch somebody today. And then like the next journal, he's like, I did 18. I don't know where anybody is. He's like, I've, I've debated just staying at like a hostel for two days in order to meet somebody. And you're like, Crow, Crow, I'm right. Like, we're right behind you, dude. But you can't send trail journals forward. So there's this dude where you only know him by a trail name. You know nothing else about him. You don't know how to contact him. And you're just like, I hope I catch you, dude. I hope I catch you because there are people out here. And and it was one of those things like sometimes you would like meet up with somebody and like maybe have a phone number of somebody. 
And every once in a while, we'd like tell somebody, we're like, have you been reading Crow's Journal? And they're like, I texted somebody who I think was ahead of me, but they got off trail. So like, we don't know where this dude is. And yeah, finally, like you find a journal and it's just like, Crow Toe and off. And you're like, Godspeed, dude. Godspeed. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, and this is a very special week indeed. This is the week where we get to put 2020 in the rearview mirror. That's right. Happy New Year, and welcome to 2021, everyone. I'm happy that you all have chosen to turn the corner and spend January 2nd with the John Freaking Muir Pod. All right, before we get to our guest today, let's have a quick update on listenership. We're up to 40 countries tuning in across the world, and I'd like to welcome the Republic of Lithuania to the fold. Domestically, we're holding firm at 49 states and the District of Columbia. Come on, Wyoming, start tuning in. I'd also like to add in a new feature that I'm going to do occasionally. We'll call it the Back Catalog Top 5. This is episode 49, and some folks out there might be tuning in for the very first time and not know what we've got in the Back Catalog of the John Freaking Muir Pod. So here are the Back Catalog Top 5, those episodes from the past with the most listens. Starting at number five, we have episode number 11, sections of the JMT, from Muir Trail Ranch to Muir Pass. I do have to say that the, uh, the sections of the JMT episodes were pretty popular. Uh, I think there's a lot of people tuning in to kind of get some background knowledge and some insight into uh, what each of the sections have to offer. And of those uh, episodes on the sections, the section from Muir Trail Ranch to Muir Pass was the, the most popular. Coming in at episode number four, that is, it actually falls into, it is actually the fourth episode of the podcast. It is Short Epic Trips with my co-host, Jukebox, where we talk about a number of short weekend or, or, or short multi-day hikes that we did that lived up uh, in scale to, uh, to a, you know, the epicness of longer trips. So you don't have to take just a, a, a you know, a full 17-day, 200-mile uh, through hike to make a trip epic. You can do it on a, a shorter excursion as well. Number three is actually episode number three of the podcast. That is Trail Superlatives with co-host Chopper. That's where we talked about some of the very best sites and uh, campgrounds and other bests out there. It's superlatives because it's like the yearbook superlatives where you have the you know best hair, best dress, cutest couple, except we took a, a trail we, we, we put a, a trail bend to it. So this is Trail Superlatives with co-host Chopper. That's episode number three. Coming in at number two is episode 21, the Fozzie episode with top-selling indie author Keith Foskett. This was a really popular episode. We had Fozzie come in and talk about his trail memoir, uh, The Last Englishman, where he talked about uh, hiking the PCT all the way from Mexico to Canada and all of the surprises and near disasters along the way. Excellent book and it's a great listen. And coming in at number one is our second episode of the pod, Getting Started. And that was with 
my co-host Buddy, where we talked about all the things you need to accumulate, all the steps you need to go through, the training, getting the permit, everything else to conquer that successful through hike. So there you go. So if you've missed out on any of those, take a listen. All right. Hey, let's get to this week's special guest. You heard about him on an earlier episode, episode 40, with Brittany Burt Woodrum, who climbed all 58 of Colorado's 14ers. Yes, that's right. We've got the guy who Burt chased for three months on the AT, the legendary 127. Welcome to the pod, 127. Uh, thanks for having me, Doc. Great to be here. Hey, first and foremost, we've got we to clear something up. Is it 127? Is it 127? Is it 127? What, what is the correct trail name? Um, so I, I suppose it was originally started as 127 hours, but quickly that became quite the mouthful, you know, for something only seven kind of characters long, it's, it's a mouthful of syllables. So over time, just jotting it down, passing it along, it just, it became 127 and then just started becoming a 127, at which point, um, kind of separating it from the 127 gave it a lot of people would start asking about it and that's kind of how I'd uh, lead into my, you know, inevitably telling them my little tale of getting the trail name. But um, yeah, so I guess whatever you like, I go by 127. 127. Very good. Now we heard the story secondhand from Bert, but uh, <laughs> you know what? It's always better to get the, 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 the story right from the horse's mouth. So if, if you've, uh, if you don't mind, we'd love to hear that story again. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you know, Bert is a great friend of mine, and it was amazing for her to give me a shout-out on her episode. And, uh, but, you know, if we're, if we're going to be honest, there's, there's some, some missed details, a little bit of tail spinning that <laughs> could maybe be, a, be a polished up. But, yeah, so I essentially got it from my 2018 southbound thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail. And, um we can get into more details on that, but the story is basically in, for those familiar with the Appalachian Trail, there's the 100 mile wilderness. And I believe it was my third or fourth day on the trail, kind of smack dab in the middle of the 100 mile wilderness. And what happened is every day there was reports of rain and like every day the ranges wouldn't come. You know, you'd watch these clouds roll in and they'd bounce off the mountains, they'd get diverted, they'd raise, they wouldn't drop the rain. And one night, um, asleep under my little hammock setup and it is dropping all of the rain that was promised for the last three or four days and it's one of those where you know I thought okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna be active I'm gonna get up early I've been getting up at around six or so you know starting early and this rain just kept me inside and it, it was getting later in the day and I was thinking okay okay you know I'm new to the through hiking stuff I knew there was gonna be rain and I, I kind of just made a deal with, with myself as I watched everybody else pack out of this campground. Um, people might know it, Antlers Campground in the 100 Mile Wilderness in Maine. And decided, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to be the last one in camp. So packed up all my stuff, soaking wet, kind of ate cold oatmeal on the go. And what was kind of nice is the rain brought cold air, which is refreshing to summer in Maine. And so I just started crushing these miles. I was like one mile in, two mile in. It was cold. I was listening to my tunes. You just kind of become one with the rain. And Maine is also famous for these little bog bridges, which are sometimes nothing more than kind of two logs, railroads spiked together crossing a stream. And, but they're out there in the Maine wilderness. So they're covered in leaves and mud and uh, uh, moss. And sure enough, there's, 
these two logs just across the stream and I stepped and don't know what quite happened, but my leg just slipped out from underneath me and I dropped right in between. My right leg went in between these two logs. And it's one of those where time slowed down, don't remember everything. But I kind of came to and I was like, okay, this is an injury. This is a horrible injury. I thought maybe like a major, you know, whatever the major leg bone is. I'm like, that's broken. You know, first order of business is just get out. And as I kind of assessed the situation, ditched my backpack because it was, you know, pulling me off the bridge more. I kind of assessed it and God, did it hurt, but everything works. You know, I did that, that kill bill, wiggle your big toe, move your ankle, flex your knee. I was like, wow, wow, I'm okay. And I kind of like got my energy back up. I was like, okay, let's just get my leg out of this, out of these logs. And I lifted up and there was something about it where like lifting your knee as the muscles engage, they, they get wider and I couldn't get my leg back out of the log. And you're like, okay, okay, this is fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just talking yourself through it. And you kind of like, you think about it, you're like, what if I just, what if I just pull a little harder? And I just started going and became this, this game of like, well, someone's going to come across me. But then as time goes on, you, you're like, well, I don't want to be the guy that's been in the logs for 20 minutes. And so you kind of like start doing this like assessment of like, okay, how do I get out of this thing? And I began looking around and it's a whole different story, but I didn't have like a little pocket knife. No, I wasn't going to cut my leg, <laughs> but I was thinking I could, I could whittle the log a little bit. You know, I could try to do something. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have my pocket knife. And I was like, well, if I collapse my trekking pole, maybe maybe, you know, they're kind of strong. Maybe I can like wiggle something loose. And I did that and I put it in between the logs and I collect and they just started bending. I was like, I'm not going to lose both of my trekking poles on this one. And finally, I just kind of scooted my way up and down this log, like straddling it like a, like a horse saddle, just trying to find a small place in between the two logs that was a little wider than the, the others. And I couldn't find anything. And finally, I was like, all right, all right, I don't want to be the guy that somebody comes across and is like, hey, I'm the unprepared first-time thru-hiker who is now stuck in a bridge. And so I scooted my way across to the bank, and I found this, this kind of granite, piece of granite in the shape of an acorn. And it was just perfect size to wedge in between the two logs. And then I, so I, I put it there, wiggled it in, scooted my way back to the other you know, side of the of the creek, grabbed another piece of granite, roughly the size of like a softball. And I was like, if I can hammer this acorn rock in between the two logs right in the middle, it'll flex it, you know? So I guess maybe I did learn something from physics class. And sure enough, I was able to just, just hammer this rock in between and it flexed a little bit enough that I could kind of like lift with just my arms and kind of do a kicking like wiggle of my knee and pop my leg out. And yeah, is is that's kind of the the gist of the story, and you just kind of there for a moment, and there's a little bit of like disbelief, um, and like relief, and pack up all my stuff, and it's soaking, and I kind of look around, and I was expecting somebody to be coming around the corner like right at that moment, but kind of took inventory, slowly made my way across that bridge once again, and was off on my way, and it was one of the things where I realized like you know, adrenaline was kind of keeping me going for a little bit. I was like, wow, that could have been really bad. You know, hundred mile wilderness is bad enough to kind of get in and out of and hike into, let alone get any medical attention in. 
And so I just kept going and I was able to walk pretty good. And I kind of caught up to some of the people who left the camp before me. And we're just chatting and having lunch. And they're like, so like, how about this rain? I was like, yeah, I slipped and got stuck in a bridge. And they're like, hold on. (laughs) And so I told them the story and they're like, wow, you're like that Aaron guy from 127 hours. And so like, I was like, yeah, maybe. And it was one of the things where kind of, you know, that was my fun story for the next few days. And as people heard it, they kind of came to the same conclusion. They're like, oh, that's like that guy that got his leg stuck or his arm stuck in the boulder. You got your leg stuck in a bridge. And kind of the, the typical joke of like, glad you didn't have to chop it off, you know, came up. It was one of those things, you know, trail names just kind of show up. And that was as fun of a name as any. Now, Bert, you know, she admittedly said as she relayed the story, she says, you know, I probably didn't do that story justice. And, you know, she did a good job, but I want, I want to say that, you know, she was right. She did not do the story justice. That, I'm, I'm glad that I asked you for a, a firsthand account of that. That was, that's incredible. But so, yeah, that's a fun little story, but yeah. Yeah. So from the moment you stepped in between the logs to the moment you finally wriggled your way free, uh, with the help of the acorn rock and the, and the softball size rock, how, mm-hmm. how, how much time had elapsed? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but the more I think, I, I'm thinking something along the line of like 15 to 20 minutes. Like it was not a negligible amount of time. You know, I kind of went through all the, the, the process of like assess, you know, bodily damage, figure out everything worked, relief, frustration. And then, you know, what is it? The, like, like the stages of grief and so there's a level of acceptance where it's like okay you know i'll just wait until somebody arrives and then you kind of go back to the frustration level and you know when you're alone in the rain in the hundred mile wilderness of maine like the minutes tick by slow and so like yeah it may have only been like 15 minutes but it did feel like a long time the five stages of working through a major problem out in the middle of nowhere. I think it's what that was what that's called. Yeah. Yeah. The wilderness problem solving. <laughs> that's it. The five stages of wilderness problem solving. That's excellent. I think if, if we can, if we can patent that, we might be rich guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. They make a little guidebook on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Hey, have you listened to the podcast before? So I started listening uh, when uh, when Bert Red uh, was told me that she was going to be on your podcast. So I think I listened to the two episodes just beforehand. Um, I definitely remember the uh, the the eco race people uh, talking about FKT, the Appalachian Trail, which is a feat in of itself. Along with all that eco stuff, is just insane. It's so, so insanely impressive. But um, I've listened from then on. I've been a pretty avid follower, you know, did all the, the Instagram follows and such. Nice. Nice. Thanks for that. One, two, seven. So you yeah, are familiar then with a regular feature that we do on the pod called the pro tip insight of the week. Oh yeah. I've been racking my brain over how okay. I want this one to get though. We'll, we'll see if anything comes up naturally. Okay. That's right. It has to come up naturally, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the episode, I'll turn to you and say, all right, one, two, seven, what can you tell our listeners what pro tip inside of the week can you share that's going to make their next adventure uh, even more epic? So keep, keep on the lookout for that. Okay. So let's get to uh, your background. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, how you got involved in the whole wilderness experience. Did it start off with, with hiking and backpacking or were there other family type activities that led you to that? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, backpacking is definitely new to my repertoire, but being outside is, is something I'm familiar with. I grew up not too far from where you're at, just, you know, the valley of Los Angeles, the Southern California. The um, San Fernando Valley. San Fernando Valley. That's yeah. right. You're a valley boy. <laughs> yeah, 818. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it started with that. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of, you know, sports. You know, grew up playing soccer, grew up playing baseball, riding bikes around, um, just kind of typical sports and all that. Uh, my family would do, you know, weekend camping trips, but a lot of it was kind of car camping. It'd be that, you know, like put down the tailgate, put that Coleman, you know, green propane stove on there, cook up some chili dogs. Um, and yeah, you know, with a you know fire pit and a picnic table next to it. Uh, we'd go to a lot of national parks. So, like, I'm pretty familiar with, you know, all of Southern California's national parks and along with, you know, Utah and, and uh, um, New Mexico, Arizona, all that, kind of the, the Southwest. We had done a lot of uh, road tripping around that area. Um, grew up skiing in the winter. It would be one of those usually Super Bowl weekends when people were uh, watching the big game. Uh, you know, dad would take us up to Mammoth Mountain, uh, and we, you know, skip a day of school, get a strong three-day weekend of skiing in. But as far as multi-day stuff and especially solo stuff, that came way later in my career. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, most of it came when, for university, I went to Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And Colorado and Fort Collins is just such an outdoorsy place. And, and that's where I was kind of introduced to like, you know, the gym had a rock climbing wall. And so I always knew about bouldering, but now it was like, you know, just swipe in with your student ID and you can, you can start bouldering right then and there. And so I do that and people would go on camping trips. Um, but I'd say my, my introduction to backpacking came when I, I studied abroad in New Zealand, my junior year of uh, university. And that, that was kind of a, an, an interesting introduction um which I, I arrived and how it worked out is the the international students would show up a, like a few days before the domestic students so it was just me and a bunch of other international students and a bunch of americans and new zealand is definitely known for its its, its like natural areas um you know i was, I was gonna say if there's a place to, to, to kind of cut your teeth in hiking new zealand's not a bad place to be oh no yeah not at all and it was one of the things like i definitely wanted to see everything but i did not come you know i didn't bring any camping gear and so i was meeting uh I, notably i met this one guy carson rawls uh from humble and he showed up and he was just like full backpacker and we were just chatting because, again, all the international students showed up first. And so we would just, like, walk around and we just, like, talk about stuff. I remember uh, right before classes started, um, there was, like, the club fair day. And you just wander around. People would be like, oh, you, you know, do you want to join, like, you know, music clubs, you know, art clubs, you know, like, physics clubs, like, all this stuff, you know, all these different types of clubs. And I came across one that was just kind of like, oh, you know, it was like, like board games. And I was like, I'm a big fan of board games. And as I was there, I kind of like look over and like, yeah, Carson, you know, this guy I had met just a few days before. He was over at this thing called the Alpine Club and just like chatting them up. I was like, hold on. This sounds pretty nifty. And so I went over. I was like, it can't hurt. Put my name and my email on a list and got an email a few days later that said, show up to our first meeting, see what we're all about. And I was like, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Showed up, listened to what they had to say. And they're like, yeah, first trip is going to be 
Uh, we're going to drive up to Lake Taupo, which is this huge lake in the middle of the North Island uh, with like some volcanic activity around it. I was like, sounds fun. And I was like, I have none of my gear. I just have none of my gear. And I remember going to essentially their version of REI. It was a Kathmandu store. And just like looking at the clearance racks for like, ah, yeah, 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 sleeping bag, you know? Yeah, it's rated to like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, backpack. It's like 30 liters, you know, sleeping pad, just kind of one of those like foam, but you like puff it up with, with a few more breaths. And I was just kind of like slapping together just like this, this ragtag clearance section gear kit and signed up for that first trip and went and we just like camped next to this lake and then during the day it was rock climbing and cliff jumping and at night it was you know campfire and uh like new zealand is famous for their glow worms and so you could just like venture down the trail and if you didn't have a headlamp you'd see these blue sparkles in the rocks and it was just like just fascinating and like i met a lot of cool people and it was one of those like I just had to fake it till I made it. You know, I showed up and people were like, wow, you're really roughing it with your like, <laughs> like thin sleeping bag and like cheap air mattress. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really want to out myself as like a fraud as like yeah. somebody who showed up unprepared. This and is how we, this is how we do it in the States. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. This, this, you know, you know me. <laughs> and um, yeah, like a tent that didn't fit me, all this stuff. And uh and yeah, you know, I was out there with definitely some like some mountaineer experienced people. And I was just kind of like following them along. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I just did that for a few weekends. Um, and then I started doing it just like every weekend. I started upgrading my kit a little bit. People started kind of dropping off and finding other interests. And so the groups became smaller. And as the groups became smaller, they went further. And it, you know, uh, precursor, uh, Hey kids, stay in school. But um, I started just skipping classes. I was just like, like, oh, a trip is leaving Friday morning. Like, I'm not going to Friday classes. Oh, a trip wants to stay late and come back Monday afternoon. I, I'm not going to Monday class. Hang, like, hang on, hang on, one two seven. I need, I need to, I need to go back just for a second. Right yeah. before you started, right before you started saying that you started skipping classes, did you do a public service announcement to all the young folk listening out there? Stay in school, I, kids. I did stay in school, study hard do well, all that stuff. It is important. Um, and, but, uh, but, but uh, that's not the path that you chose. It's not the path <laughs> that I chose. And I guess another picture is I didn't, I didn't straight out fail my classes. I just, I, they just, they were on the back burner. Um, but yeah, it was one of the things where these weekend trips, you know, people would be like, Hey, how does everybody feel about staying an extra day? And everybody was like, thumbs up. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And so I started doing that. And it's one of the things where looking back, you, you kind of get to the end of like the semester in New Zealand and you're like, let's see, let's see, what did I do? I went all across both islands. I saw glaciers. I swam in hot springs. I summited three of the five highest peaks on the North Island. I was on active volcanoes. I climbed Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings. Like you look back and it, it, it was one of the things, I went from no backpacking experience to just like, like people native to New Zealand, they're like, dude, you climbed like Rupehu? And I was like, yeah, like, is that not something people do? Like if you just go up and they're like, like you, people ski it, but like not a ton of people just straight up climb it. And I was like, wow, okay. And yeah, looking back is, it, I really just like 
faked it till I made it because I didn't know any better. You know, people said like, do you want to climb this mountain? And I just said yes. And I just follow their footsteps. And before you know it, you're in cool places with cool people. Hey, I would call that a very successful semester. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And once again, you know, I still pass my classes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I remember way more from the weekend trips than I do from any <laughs> class lesson. And, you know, I just want to point out something else. And that's, uh, you know, you talked about the gear that you kind of slapped together to, uh, to go on all these excursions. And because mm-hmm. of your, your uh, substandard gear, uh, did that make your trip any uh, less epic? No, because it, like it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like it did it. You know, you you had the time of your life, no matter you know what level your gear was. And I just want to kind of have that be a, an example to others that you don't have to have the six hundred dollar tent that weighs you know oh, ten ounces to to have fun out there. I mean, there you can you could put together a kit on a budget and still have an amazing time. Yeah, and and you know. This is not to, you know, like, like boast just like developing personal grit at the, at the cost of comfort or safety. But there really is something where I, I think a lot of people can get lost into looking at all this gear. And especially if you're new to backpacking, you'll read forum articles and people will be like, this is the tent you need for this reason. And until you're kind of out there, until you know kind of what conditions you're going to deal with, like it's hard to know exactly what gear is best for you and what works best for you even just on a personal level um like even something as simple as like i'm six one and if when you start looking at lightweight tents some of them don't fit people any higher than five ten and that's you know like that's such an easy simple checkbox that like somebody it is can be the best tent in the world if it doesn't fit your budget and your needs it's not the best tent for you but um but yeah being in new zealand is one of those things where I guess, yeah, I, you know, my gear was, was makeshift and, and, you know, clearance rack and slapstick, but like it got the job done. And so there really wasn't anything for me to like complain about, you know, it was hard for me to point at any like one point in my gear and say like, Oh, like my sleeping bag is objectively bad. It was, you know, yeah, I had some cold nights, but like everybody had that same cold night. Now you are a seasoned uh, through hiker. And you've got uh, 2,200 miles of the AT under your belt. What is what does your gear look like now? What have you? How have you changed that? Oh, gear's changed a ton. Um, and uh, actually, just just doing a quick callback to uh, when I was in that Kathmandu looking at gear. I, I did look at bigger backpacks. I looked at better gear. And I remember being there like with people and looking at like you know the the 50 and 60 liter backpacks and thinking like. Well, I mean, like any gear I buy, I'm going to try to bring back to the States with me. So if I invest in a good backpack now, I might be able to like use it later. And I remember the same Carson guy, he was like, yeah, but like, you don't really need a backpack that big unless you're going to do like the Appalachian Trail. I remember just like staring at it and being like, I know that's a thing. But for some reason, like that was the first like earworm of being like, yeah, but maybe I will. And so, yeah, that's, that's a fun little callback, but my gear has definitely changed over time. And it even changed over the course of the AT. Um, I came back, I did a lot more research into gear. I got um, a better sleeping bag. Um, that was actually my graduation present for graduating undergrad is as I got more involved at like national parks and some Yellowstone trips, which I'm sure we'll get into a like better sleeping bag, um, matched it with a better pad. Um, 
kept the same tent from New Zealand as uh, this, you know, short little tube bivy type tent. Um, but I actually started the AT with a hammock setup. You know, people said like, oh, there's trees everywhere. You can just hammock anywhere. And so I actually, I had like a light hammock. I made my own under quilt, um, had just like, you know, a rain tarp over the top and decided that wasn't what I wanted. Swapped it out for my little, you know, tube bivy tent. Had my parents send that to me in Maine. Um, and then, yeah, with that being said, I, I, you know, broke poles, found sticks and used those as poles. Um, had to, you know, as hiking southbound late season, winter rolls in and gear changes completely in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can imagine. Now I want to go back just for a sec on that. Uh, you mentioned that earworm uh, where you're staring at the backpack and the guy says, well, you don't need that unless you're going to do the AT and you, you saying, oh, I know that's a thing. It's funny how just those random moments in our lives can, mm-hmm. can help propel us in a direction that we had never even considered before. That's wild. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like, a, a, it's been a while, but like Cheryl Strait and Wild, didn't she learn about the PCT from like, a, like a, a book on like a dentist waiting room or something like that? Yeah, just a random moment and here we are. You're on a podcast talking about uh, <laughs> through hiking. Hey, I want to go back even a little bit further in, your, in our conversation here. You talked about when you were at Colorado State and you talked about bouldering. I don't think we've mm-hmm. had a, an in-depth discussion on the podcast of bouldering or what bouldering is. Uh, how familiar okay. are you uh, with, with bouldering? I've heard about bouldering problems. And so I'd love to just kind of pick your brain a little bit on that. Uh, definitely a novice. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll lay down some groundwork, but that's definitely an interesting direction the podcast can go. I'm sure somebody would be more than happy to hop on and give you all the in-depth. Um, yeah, bouldering is really interesting. Uh, I got into it for a little bit, but to be honest, it didn't, it, it wasn't what grabs the most of my fancy, but bouldering essentially is, um, it's like small scale rock climbing, um, usually attacking, you know, a boulder. Um, and so, um, but even those, you know, the, they can get really technical. They can get real large. I think the same uh, kind of rock climbing rating, the like um, one through five rock climbing being five and then the five dot decimal system with, uh, I think it's like 14 is the highest now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's essentially that, but it's, it's no ropes um, with, you know, no gear other than some chalk, maybe, a you know, one of those little crag toothbrushes that people use. Um, and you'll see people with crash pads. They're essentially like a, like a, a big kind of gymnast mat that people will pack out into the wilderness and place under a boulder so that if you do fall, you, you know, you can fall a decent amount on some of these bouldering problems and the crash pad is there to, to hold you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's climbing without ropes and setting, what are they called? Like pythons or whatever, kind of the carabiners that with a spike in the middle of the wall. Um, so yeah, that's bouldering. I uh, got into it just kind of as a, as a recreational activity. Um, while I was a, an undergrad, it was free. It was there in the gym. Unfortunately, I wasn't too great at bouldering. I'm very tall and lanky. And so keeping myself right along the wall, keeping my weight right next to the wall is pretty tough when you have these just long, lanky limbs. Okay. And, and bouldering problems, is that just a, uh, a situation that you have to figure out on a particular boulder, yeah. on, a, on a particular I, route? Yeah, I think that's kind of what they call it with like, yeah, the different routes could be problems. Uh, I, I've also heard the term like, uh, I mean, in Alex Honnold's free solo, there's a part of Half Dome called the boulder problem. 
Um, and so I, I think it's just kind of like a, you know, something with no clear handholds, no clear, like this is the way up. And you got to kind of finagle your, your angles and your body in order to maneuver around an obstacle. But once again, I'm sure you could find a, a climber on here who could talk more in depth than I can. Yeah, I was just going to say, if there's any boulderers out there listening to us and just shaking, shaking his or her head saying, what are these guys <laughs> talking about? You know, feel free to reach out to me and we'll get you on the pod and we'll, we'll hear all about, you know, what true bouldering and bouldering problems are. So don't be shy out there. All right. So your New Zealand experience, though, that was, uh, that was not the end of kind of the lead up to your AT hike. You had some other experiences post New Zealand that prepared you to, to take on the AT? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, again, not a ton of backpacking, but I was definitely feeling more uh, in my skin outdoors. Um, I really just enjoyed being out there. And it, it was one of those things, you know, it's kind of wild. You go to another country and you explore all of their natural areas. And then you come home and you're like, well, I haven't ever explored my own backyard that in depth. And so I started doing more day hikes some more weekend camping in Colorado, um, explored areas like Durango, um, and then, yeah, along with Birds 14 or projects being all over the state in those big peak areas. Um, but um, after New Zealand in undergrad, I joined uh, something called the Rocky Mountain Science and Sustainability Network, RMSSN. Um, and it's a, it's a multi-school kind of coalition run by a professor at um, uh, Colorado State University um, that it, it brings students who wouldn't normally have access to field research in the national parks and uh, brings them into those national parks and allows them to see what kind of uh, what field research science looks like, what science kind of out there looks like in these wild natural areas. And, um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a great network. We try to get people who would normally not be able to be out there. So people from other uh, universities, inner city areas, um, people of color, um, like we're really trying to push for, you know, the, the public lands are for everyone, you know, like it's our taxes that fund them and therefore everybody should have access and feel comfortable in these areas. But I joined the project actually as a, as a student researcher, I was a statistics minor and the, the leader of the project was looking for some statistics students to kind of show them like, this is what data looks like, you know, in the real world where like you can't control every variable and like animals don't want to cooperate with you. And like the weather doesn't want to cooperate with you. And so I joined in that, in that way and helped out. And I had a great time and just kind of through being a CSU student and networking with some people, I returned for two more years after that as a faculty member. Um, in which case I would kind of help students develop their own research questions, do field research, um, there's a lot of just driving the van around because, um, you know, Colorado to Yellowstone is a strong 10 hour drive. And um, but yeah, I joined that. And, and once again, it was, it was one of those things kind of being able to be on the other side of that pain where when I went to New Zealand, I felt like, okay, you know, like I got to kind of, I got to do whatever I can to kind of be with these people who know way more than I do. And if I can just kind of watch them and be where they can be, I think that'll be really cool. And with uh, the RMSSN uh, trips to Yellowstone, again, these are people who have never been to, you know, Yellowstone, Yellowstone let alone a national park. And so being able to kind of be on that other side, you know, like have my gear, have my kit, you know, have these cool outdoor facts. But then you bring people and like you're driving the van when they see their first bison, when they see the geyser, when they see wolves, 
like that's an amazing experience for people. And so that made me just fall in love even more with our natural areas and realizing that like, like I've been so fortunate to grow up where I did outside of Los Angeles, where I realized that, you know, people in the city don't have the same access to even just horse trails or like, um, you know, bike paths uh, or like these dirt trails into um, just kind of like the low hills that, uh, that I did growing up. And then I went to Colorado and having that same access where people at other universities don't, don't have bouldering uh, walls in their gym. Uh, they don't have um, like state parks with free camping nearby. They don't have like a river running through the city that people fly fish at. And so, yeah, really, you know, giving access to the, the public lands to more people. Okay. Fascinating. Now, before we go to break, I want to do our first top five list and top five. Uh, top five. We'll do some impromptu top fives throughout the evening here to uh, just keep us on our toes and, and find out some more stuff about you. So Thank I you. heard you, I heard you say that when you were in New Zealand on the exchange program or the, the you know, study abroad program that you mm-hmm. uh, were looking for a club and, and you, uh, you thought, Hey, board game club, I'm into board games. So a top five list, uh, top five board games. Top five board games. Okay. 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 Um, gosh. All right. I, I feel like we're going to get a little esoteric on this one. Um, I guess easy number one. Uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been kind of regarded as this kind of like in the shadows nerdy game, but it's on the rise. Um, big names are playing it. Uh, and, yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. It Make, it's making you, a comeback. It's making a strong comeback. Yeah. I can't wait to see where it goes. It's it's definitely grown in popularity. Um, after that, uh, okay, this one's going to sound wild. Um, number two is my roommates and I play a game called Illimat. It was designed by the band The Decemberists. Uh, the quick background on it, if I remember this correctly, is when they were releasing their latest album, they kind of wanted this weird board game to be part of their promo stuff to kind of make it look a little bit occult and weird. Um, And people were like, what is that? That looks cool. What is that game? I want that. And so they consulted with a game designer and made it a real thing. We stumbled uh, across it one day, just in our local game shop. And now we own it. Nice. (laughs) Uh, That's a fun one. Um, Personally, I'm a big fan of Liar's Dice. It's a super easy game. You can take it with you on the road. If people aren't too familiar, it's just uh, a bunch of people have a bunch of D6s. You roll them, and based on the numbers that are, you keep them hidden from everybody. And the numbers in your hand, you kind of try to bluff your way into tricking people into thinking, like, how many of a certain number on the table. It's a great game. It's easy to learn. Give that one a quick look up. Um, And then... As far as quick travel games, um, when I was a kid, my family grew up playing cribbage. That was that was a camping game for us, deck of cards and a little cribbage board. Um, and uh, I'm sure this is on the rise for a lot of people. I've been getting into it for a little while, but uh, I've been playing a lot of chess recently. Um, and yeah, with that recent Queen's Gambit show on Netflix, it seems like everybody's getting into that one. Yeah, did you watch that? I did. I finished it probably a week ago. And yeah. yeah, I was, you know, I played as a kid, got back into it a few months ago, and then lo and behold, shows up on Netflix and, you know, uh, interest in chess is skyrocketing, which is great. And, you know, it's one of the oldest games in the world and it's super simple, you know, 
uh, and easily replayable, even with the same people over and over again. Yeah, it sounds like you and I were watching the Queen's Gambit about the same time. So I thought it was really good as well. It was a great one, yeah. Yeah, just think if you hadn't got stuck in a uh, you know a, a peat moss log bridge, this this could have all bubbled up you know through conversation on the trail, and you could have been known as Grandmaster. Who knows? Oh, I wasn't placing chess at that time, and honestly, oh, okay. I won't I won't flatter myself. I'm not too fantastic right now, but I'm I'm fighting. Very good. All right, that was a good top five. Stay tuned. We we'll right back after the break with more from one two seven. We're gonna hear about his Appalachian Trail trip. Stay tuned for that. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Hey y'all, it's Brittany Woodrum and I just completed climbing all 58 of Colorado's 14ers and you're listening to the John Frickin' Muir Pod. Thanks so much for listening. And welcome back. We're talking to 127, and we are now going to get into your story of your 2018 Appalachian Trail hike. Now, you did a couple things uh, a little bit different than the normal on this particular hike. Number mm-hmm. one, you hike southbound instead of northbound. What, what is the kind of the percentage of hikers that go northbound versus uh, those that did it like you did and, and go southbound? Uh, I'm not going to know exact numbers, uh, and I think Southbound is becoming more popular, but I believe the year I did it, it was something like 15 to maybe 20% of hikers were uh, going Southbound. Okay, and in addition to that, you also started your, your hike very late in the season for the AT, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, I started uh, August 1st, um, which is regarded as late, you know, August is still summer, but uh in Maine, like that heat can really, really kill off some people. Not literally, just you know, like end hikes early through heat stroke. Um, but uh, 
And then, yeah, as winter rolls in, you need to get as far south as possible. And so things like uh, the White Mountains and the Great and the, the Smoky Mountains, those kind of become kind of uh, checkpoints where you got to get through them before serious weather does. So for us West Coast folks who aren't sure where the White Mountains are, how, how far into the trail are the White Mountains? Yeah, so you... White Mountains are um, New Hampshire area. I mean, that entire mountain range spans a, a few states. Um, but I'd, I'd say most of it is the New Hampshire area. So Maine's known for its own kind of just relentless wilderness and logging roads and kind of a, not that it's, it's dangerous out there. I'm not going to scare anybody off, but like the amount of civilization you see in Maine is way different than in the South. Um, and then, yeah, the, the White Mountains are the New Hampshire area, um, a little bit of the Vermont area. And then uh, Smoky Mountains are going to be down uh, Tennessee border. All right. And, you know, I know you said during our, our little talk about your background that you grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is just north mm-hmm. of Los Angeles. Uh, where are you living now? Uh, I'm currently in Fort Collins. Uh, again, after my AT, I went back to California for a little bit and then decided um, I don't like how busy it is. <laughs> And so I went back to Fort Collins with a, a hesitant plan to uh, go to grad school there. And then I've, uh, I've, I've basically started the application for grad school four times now, but never submitted it. I just not quite ready. I got other, other adventures on my mind. Nice. Now, when you did the AT in 2018, where were you living prior to uh, undertaking that, that uh, trip? Yeah, so I was in, I was still in Fort Collins. I stayed there okay. for a year or two after graduating, um, and then uh, for a, about a month, I was in California. My parents kind of stashing some stuff, and I flew uh, over to Maine. Okay, can you help us out with uh, maybe um, if somebody wants to hike the AT and they live, uh, you know, not on the East Coast? You know, I'm on the West Coast. You're in you're in the you know, the Midwest. Um, mm-hmm. what is the process? Is there a permit that you need to get? How many permits do they, do they give out? Is it, uh, is it tough to get a permit? And then how did you, what are the logistics of getting to the trailhead, the southbound trailhead? Um, so yeah, again, to the, so as far as permits go, I don't believe there are, you know, hard and fast permits. I know that the PCT is so popular that you apply for a permit that gives you kind of a start date in order to spread people out. Um, the AT doesn't have that, to be honest, after all this uh, COVID stuff, they might implement something. Also, the AT has been gaining in popularity. So I wouldn't be surprised if they implement something like that, kind of spread out the start date. Um, getting to the southern terminus, that'll be Springer Mountain, Georgia, uh, which is not too far away from Atlanta um, area. And so you can definitely get there. Um, going south the way I did, you just kind of show up at uh, the base of Katahdin at Baxter State Park. You check in with the ranger station um, and you just say you're an AT hiker. They give you this little red card. Um, you write your name on it, uh, kind of, and you kind of dictate like how long you think you're going to be in 100 mile wilderness. Uh, you state that you are a through hiker, um, but that's kind of the permit process. It's not so much uh, a difficulty in being allowed to hike. It's just kind of when you show up, you have to establish uh, who you are, you are through hiking. And then they mostly do that just for data, just to keep numbers, not so much to keep an eye on everybody. Right, right. And the fact that you started so late in the season, 
which is mm-hmm. uh, different than normal. And you, you went southbound, which is different than the majority of other, other hikers. What are we to infer about 127 from these choices that you make? Um, it wasn't all my fault. <laughs> no, uh, in Fort Collins, I had, I had some, just, uh, some personal items I was hoping to finish up. Um, and it, I was originally gonna, gonna go northbound. Um, but then once again, that RMSSN Yellowstone project, they invited me for another year and that's May and June. And so that became, uh, illogical. I was like, well, I could just go south, start later. July came and passed. Um, I was working, I was the manager at this small little cafe for a bit. Um, and it was kind of in the process of shutting down. The owner was well into retirement and it was his little pet project. So we were kind of shutting that down and I didn't want to kind of like leave it on its last leg with a few weeks left. And so I stuck around and yeah, you know, and then I looked at airfare and I was like, well, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg to fly out in the next week. So I had to stick something a few weeks down the line. And before you knew it, it was August 1st and everything online was like, you got to get going. And so that was, that was kind of the, I started the trail with a sense of urgency Got it. So that kind of explains the timing of it. But what about the, the, the decision to go southbound rather than northbound? Um, so maybe I'm a bit of a masochist, but I did read that going southbound was harder. And for me, that was kind of, it wasn't important in a way. One, I heard it was quieter. Two, I heard it was harder. And that's not so much so I could be like a bragger about it. But having limited backpacking experience, I kind of saw it as a, a, a way of saying, if I'm not going to be able to do this, I want to know in the first two states. Um, the idea of kind of rolling over, you know, Georgia and, you know, into Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia area, and then getting to these big granite cliffs of the White Mountains and Maine. Um, it, it, I just didn't want to get 90% of the way there and then struggle. And so I kind of decided if, if I'm going to do this, and if the trail is I want to see what the worst is first. Um, and so, yeah, timing was the main thing. But as I read about how it's quieter, but it is harder, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a challenge. But I kind of want to face it head on rather than working into it. Got it. Got it. Test the limits. And, and, yeah, and, and that really is the thing because, you know, you can call these horror stories or kind of cautionary tales, but it's, it's not hard to find a story of a northbounder getting 2,000 miles in and breaking their foot in Maine and not being able to finish. And the idea of that was so disheartening that I was like, if, if Maine is going to fight me, I want it to fight me in the first month. And so when it did, when you were stuck in the logs, uh, <laughs> you said, I oh, got this. Me. I got this. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that really is the thing is, um, yeah, perhaps, you know, like doing some Colorado and Rocky Mountain hiking, you know, it prepares you for just kind of like granite kind of scrambling um, in just kind of, and the Appalachian Trail is wild and that's just up and down, but I was able to just one foot in front of the other. And I think there was a little bit of that like imposter syndrome type thing where I realized that, you know, I'm hiking and you don't know who's you know, finishing their triple crown and who's out here for the first time. And like, sometimes you're out there and you see Boy Scouts and you're like, I don't, I don't really want to be the next like unprepared Appalachian Trail through hiker. And so I was, you know, it's definitely capable. I didn't do anything risky or stupid, 
but worked my way, yeah, south and yeah, I'm rambling. No, that's okay. That's okay. And <laughs> no, yeah, what was the, let's loop back. What was the question again? I think we answered the question. I think, I think we're okay, good, yeah, but yeah, uh, I wanted to follow up with um, when you started this whole thing, mm-hmm. were you just going to do this? You had it in your mind, you were going to do it solo or had, did you partner up with somebody and say, Hey, let's do the AT or is this a total, no. total solo expedition? I was doing it solo. Uh, I'll be honest. I showed up so unprepared. Um, I didn't have a campsite booked at Baxter state park. And so I was staying at, at this hostel in uh, Millinocket and there's another guy there. And when we we're getting breakfast, I just kind of like sat down next to him at this tiny diner. I was like, Hey, Hey, I'm Sam. And he's like, I'm Brian. I was like, are you doing the whole thing? He's like, no, I'm just like a section hiker. And you know, I was like, Oh, okay. And it was one of the things hiking up Katahdin, you know, you kind of like see certain people. And so like, I got to the top and like saw Brian there. And then we came down and I was kind of looking around. I was like, I don't have a campground. And I, like, wandered over to Brian I was like hey like if I give you like 10 bucks <laughs> can I stay at your campground and he's like you don't need to pay me like like he had an entire campground just for himself I was like thank you <laughs> and so like yeah I was like unprepared just kind of like set up my hammock on the fringes of his campground and then over the course of the 100 mile wilderness you know we just kind of like hike and there's a little bit of like again I'd be like hey Brian how uh how far are you going today He's like, I think I'm doing 18. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea like what that would entail. And I was like, yeah, see you there. And so you just like start hiking. And I was like, oh, I I don't have to do 18. But like, I think if that seems to be the pace people are doing. And then next day I'd be like, hey, Brian, (laughs) how far are you going? He's like 22. I'm like, oh, right. Let's do that. Ah, That sounds good. And so like we wouldn't hike together. But, you know, I'd leave before him he would pass me, he would eat lunch, I would pass him, he would pass me, and then I'd like stumble into the campground at night, I'd be like, well, oh, that was, that was a tough one, but um, yeah, he was just section hiking 100 mile wilderness, and so after that, I was alone um, for, I'd say, the better part of a month, um, possibly over a month. Um, I would see people, mostly northbounders, I would see a south, you know, southbounders, and sometimes you come across them, you'd be like, oh man, you're going south, like, so happy, and you hike with them and you realize that they're just not your people. They're not going your speed. You know, they don't want to do the distance that you're looking to do. They are going into town or not going into town when like it doesn't match up with your schedule. And so I, I didn't hike with anybody for more than maybe a few hours for most of a month. Um, I didn't actually meet somebody who would become my hiking partner until Vermont. Um, so I soloed my way through the entirety of Maine besides the 100 mile wilderness and um almost all of the white you know uh uh and in new hampshire i hiked with with two people for a little bit of the whites and then in a storm we kind of got separated um and then it was finally in vermont that i i linked up with a southbounder um named shield maiden from australia and it was one of those things where we're both hiking alone for a bit and we did a little bit of a standoff at a hostel we're like you want slack pack and she was like let's slack pack and we just kind of decided to uh, slack pack a day together and then we left the hostel together and then we just kind of kept pace with each other and before you know it you finish up the entire Appalachian Trail with this person what was her trail name uh shield maiden shield maiden what's the story behind that oh she was a badass um just from Australia just tough as nails 
um, when I met her, her hair was in like Viking braids. Um, and yeah, just kind of like out there with a cause, uh, just, you know, she was, uh, strongly vegan, strongly feminist. And, you know, that's like, people have their opinions on that, but she stuck to her guns, no matter what, uh, didn't take crap from, from anybody. And so that was cool. And a fun story about her, she nearly broke her nose on the Appalachian Trail right in front of me. Um, was leaping down a rock, stumbled and smashed her face right into another rock and was just gushing blood and just like took a moment, did some first aid, assessed it. And it's one of those things where you look at somebody's nose and you're like, I don't know what your nose really looked like beforehand, but this is not what it should look like. And it's just bleeding and there's a scar across the bridge of her nose. And we just kept going. There was no other real option. You know, you either hike into town to get medical attention or you just keep hiking and that's how it worked. Um, but yeah, no, she was a fighter. Wow. Wow. Sounds intense. Now you, 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 uh, came across her in Vermont, you said, and then you kind of, Mm -hmm. you finished the hike with her. Were there any other, uh, South banners that you guys picked up along the way? I mean, other than, I know Bert eventually catches you, but uh, anybody else uh, in your trail family? Yeah. So the other, uh, person in my trail family, my little trail, uh, his name was big chicken. Um, 18 year old from Marietta, Georgia and, um, trail name coming from, uh, if anybody's familiar with Marietta, Georgia, there's a KFC with a large robotic chicken on top of it. And it's just kind of like this, this statue and it, you know, it opens its beak and wiggles its eyes or something like that. And so anybody who is familiar with his hometown, they're like, Oh, the place with the big chicken. And he's like, yeah. So that's the story between his, his, uh, trail name. But yeah linked up with him near the end of Vermont, Connecticut area. And that was another one of those kind of, you know, we just met at a shelter and um, he was with some people who he didn't really want to be hiking with. And so it just kind of, you know, some people just don't fit your style. And so, you know, we hit it off pretty well, you know, some good banter. And before you know it, you're like, Hey, you know, doesn't look like you're having a great time with the people here. What if we just, you know, crush some big days and then we just hang out. Um, and then we also linked up with, uh, this older guy, OTB over the bench or off the bench. Um, and you know, AT was his retirement dream. And so he was out there. Um, and yeah, just, you know, it, it, that's a, that's a story you hear on the AT all the time. And somebody's like, Oh, I heard about the AT and I told myself when I retire and my kids are in college, then, then I'll finally do it. Um, and so, yeah, OTB, we hiked with him for a while. What does um, off the bench mean? Uh, he just kind of like, like, I think he was way more active in his youth. And then he just kind of, you know, got stuck in family life and like career life. And he felt like, okay, you know, I'm retired, but I'm not going to lay down. Like, I'm going to get up off the bench and start, start getting into the, the weeds again. And so, yeah, he was a cool dude. Um, and yeah, you kind of meet up with people for a few days or a few weeks at a time. Um, like met up with Bert or I knew her as red on the trail. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah, uh, going back to southbound and it becoming cold, um, everybody seemed to kind of pod up. And as the weather got cold, the, the trail journal kind of the little notebooks at the shelter that people leave notes at, it started becoming a roll call for who was still on the trail and you'd come across a shelter and it'd be like two people checking in they're like we calling it quit we go into town tomorrow and we're not doing this winter anymore 
And so that was really the thing is finding a trail family was important as a Southbounder, especially in the winter, because it was like your morale boost and also kind of like a safety thing, you know, storms roll in or need supplies or even just to have somebody with you. Cause you would read trail journals of people who were trying to like catch groups or like find people. Namely, I remember the, the entries of this kid named Croatoan, another kid from the East coast and his trail journals were just sad. They were just like, he's just like, he's like, I did, I did 24 today. I didn't see anybody. I thought I would catch somebody today. And then like the next journal, he's like, I did 18. I don't know where anybody is. He's like, I've, I've debated just staying at like a hostel for two days in order to meet somebody. And you're like, Crow, Crow, I'm right. Like we're right behind you, dude, but you can't send trail journals forward. There's this dude where you only know him by trail name. You know nothing else about him. You don't know how to contact him. And you're just like, I hope I catch you, dude. I hope I catch you because there are people out here. That, that's like it's reading hard. That's like reading an interactive serial no- novel where, you know, they publish a chapter each week or each month and you mm-hmm. have to kind of tune in the, the, following, the following week or month to figure out what, what happened. This is like a, a daily serial novel that, uh, you know, you're, you're on the guy's heels, but you, like you said, you can't communicate with them. It's a, it's a story unfolding right before your eyes. It, it had to be uh, very, in cases, I mean, in that case, it'd be almost heartbreaking because you're, you're trying to reach out to the guy and you can't get to him. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things, like sometimes you would like meet up with somebody and like maybe have a phone number of somebody. And every once in a while we would like tell somebody, we're like, have you been reading Crow's journal? And they're like, I texted somebody who I think was ahead of me, but they got off trail. So like, we don't know where this dude is. And yeah, finally, like you find a journal and it's just like Crow toe and off. And you're like, Godspeed, dude, Godspeed. But, um, but I mean, I was on the other side of that. We're like, remember from Red Story, she was following my journal. You know, she, she knew me based on, like, I would write in the journals pretty often, um, even just as, like, a little check-in thing. Sometimes I'd like to leave a joke or, like, a, a pseudo-metaphysical thought on the day. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, that was interesting because Red caught me right after. Um, there's, a, there's a shelter called The Priest. It's on top of this big mountain. Um, in, uh, I remember the names of places, not the states. I want to say Virginia. Um, but, uh, this huge mountain and it's called the priest shelter and it's, it's custom to leave a, a confession in it. And I thought it was being kind of fun. I was like, all right, you know, forgive me, father, I have committed the seven deadly sins. And I released a trail related thing to the seven deadly sins. And like two days later, Red's like, oh, I've been reading your journals. I was like, oh no. (laughs) 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 I just did like, you know like weird trail confessions at that last journal post it's like yeah i read that i was like oh okay (laughs) you know this this strikes me as a possibility for a uh a a fictional account of uh, someone's trip on the at you could you could do it kind of uh with these trail confessions these these trail journal entries and you know one Mm -hmm. person is chasing another and you know we all we all get on the trail for for various reasons and there's people out there that are trying to find themselves trying to fix themselves so this could really be a a a thriller you could have somebody on the trail who you know he's he's running from somebody or something and uh, his output is to uh, you know, fill out these trail journals and there's, you know, some unsuspecting hiker who's, you know, following and catching, you know, reading, reading the trail journals and just becoming more and more intrigued by the person. I don't know. I'm just rambling here myself. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you get just beats and just bits and pieces, you know, one, most people don't write in them. And when they do like, 
you know, some people leave like page long essays, just like, like what they did. And those are interesting. And other times it's just like, just a quick thing. And you're able to read into it if you want, or kind of glean from it what you will. And sometimes it's as simple as just like you get to a shelter and you're tired and you open up the trail journal. And the first thing it says is spring is dry. And you're like, oh, oh, like that's that's a drama in of itself right there. Right. All right. So um, take us through, did you have any uh, uh-oh moments? I mean, other than getting stuck between the logs, were there any other uh, pretty dramatic moments out there for you where you're wondering, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. We can just go through like the little one, you know, legs stuck in a log, two, um, when I swapped out all my gear at, at Shaw's hostel, famous hostel on the south side of the 100-mile wilderness and, uh, of the Appalachian Trail, um, when I swapped out all my gear, I was like, I made so many wrong choices. Um, uh, <laughs> and so just like reassessing that and really thinking like, what do I need? Like, what do I need to get? Um, you know, uh, something to think about is, you know, I didn't, I didn't leave that log in Maine totally unscathed. I mean, to this day, I still kind of have some, some mild knee issues when I'm on my feet for long days or doing long hikes. You know, I feel it. And, you know, it reminds me of <laughs> Maine. Um, so there's that. And then simple stuff. Uh, I wore boots, um, which some people won't agree with uh, on the Appalachian Trail. Um, but I wore boots and that meant my feet were wet all the time. I got mild trench foot. Um, so you know, you just, you peel off a sock and like a bit of skin comes off with it and then it smells like death and you're like, well, okay, I'm going to put the same socks on tomorrow. You just kind of pray that your boots dry out. Um, and it, it's little stuff. Um, like as winter rolled in and it got colder, uh, just, you know, hiking through snow is a, is an absolute beast. Like hunkering down in an open-faced shelter when it, when it's actively snowing and just praying the wind doesn't change direction in the middle of the night. Um, that's something, uh, I had to start sleeping with things in order to make them not freeze. And so, you know, if anybody's familiar with the, the Sawyer squeeze water filter products, you can't let those freeze. And so I would hike with it like in my inside pocket. And then at night I would put it in the foot of my sleeping bag. But then that would add to other stuff. Uh, lithium batteries don't survive well in the cold. So if you have something with like a GPS or like a smartwatch or even your phone, got to keep that warm with you. Otherwise, it'll die. Like, you know, if you're in the snow, if it's cold, you can pull out your phone, open up gut hooks, and your battery will drop 30% just because the battery doesn't know how to read its own charge when it's that cold. Um, so stuff like that. And then once again, wearing boots, you just have these wet boots, you leave them out overnight and you, you come back and your shoelaces have icicles on them. And so you're just like in your socks, banging boots against the side of the shelter, just hoping to get some malleability out of them. I actually started sleeping with my boots in my sleeping bag. Um, I'd put them in a grocery bag and put them in the foot of my sleeping bag just to make sure they didn't freeze. They were not warm. Um, so that whole thing, your food changes, you just get sick of stuff. You know, like I survived yes. off of oatmeal and then I was like, I haven't eaten oatmeal to this day. <laughs> it's been, it's been like two years and I refuse to eat oatmeal anymore. So there's definitely that one. Yeah. Regular, um, regular listeners to the pod will know that, uh, I cannot stand payday bars anymore. I, I ate a king size payday bar for lunch every day on the trail thinking it would be a great idea. And it was great for the first you know, two days. But then after that, I was like, Oh, not another payday bar. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and also, uh, I'm a, I love peanut butter. For a while, just peanut butter on tortillas was like, I could just w- make them while I walk and eat them. Um, and then I bent a titanium spoon on peanut butter when it was below freezing. <laughs> and so, like, like, you know, you look at something that's titanium and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Like, so peanut butter is no longer a viable food option at this point. Um, and that just changes up, like, resupplying. Um so yeah, like I'd, I'd say just being in the cold is a, is a totally different beast. And even if you're used to the cold, it just makes the small things so much harder to deal with. Um, and we can jump into another story if you like. Um, I went through the Smokies during Winter Storm Diego, uh, which is, it's, if anybody remembers 2018, there was a winter storm that rolled in. And we're at the base of the Smokies and we weren't able to get a good weather report. And we thought, okay, well, they're saying rain. So if we go up into the Smokies, probably snow, but we're thinking like an inch. And Shield Maiden, being from Australia, wasn't as comfortable in the cold. She opted to do a little bit of like a, like a detour around the mountain would meet us halfway. Big Chicken and I were like, we got this. It's only going to be like an inch of snow. And so we hike up and we stay at our first shelter and there's just dusting of snow on the ground. We go to bed and we wake up to 13 inches of fresh powder outside of the shelter. And we're like, okay, which way do we go? Do we go back down where we came and then drive around or do we um, go through this? And we opted to go through this because we knew that there were two people ahead of us at a shelter further on. Um, And so we're like, all right, we're going through. And it was just post-holing, um, just just knee-deep snow through the Smoky Mountains. And like on the ridge lines, it was even deeper. And just this like, I was, you know, I was a bit bigger than chicken. I had like the heavier load. I had bigger boots. And so I was just kind of like the bulldozer in the front, just sweeping it. Like there was no use in lifting your feet. You just kind of pushed forward. Oh, man. Um, eventually reached the post holes made by the two guys in front of us that made stepping easier and uh yeah we get like we go all the way and we get to there's one road that goes over the middle of the smoky mountains and i got to a shelter and i was able i couldn't i didn't have any like you know 3g or lte signal we can get any signal i had two bars and i sent my mom a text that just said like yes or no the road through Smoky, Great Smoky Mountain National Park open or closed. And I wasn't able to get signal. We kept going on another crest. I took my phone out, watched the battery kick down, and got one text from my mom that says, has been closed for two days. And so we thought our out was that road. And it's been closed for two days. And we're like, what? Where are, like, okay. And so we can still take the road, but that's 16 miles to town. And so... We stay at the shelter, like just off of the road, and I, Chick and I were foolish. We thought we were gonna make it to the road and then make our way down to town. So we wore our good dry socks, and so we put our good dry socks on. Post hold didn't even make it to the road. Hunkered down in a shelter. This was like a, a like a 24 person shelter. It's a double decker shelter, and there's two of us. There's no way we're keeping this thing warm. So we're right next to each other and we surround ourselves with like tarps and our bags and trash bags and stuff, all that, just trying to keep like an iota of warmth in there. And then next morning we like get to the road and we're like, okay, how do we get down? You know, do we just start walking it? 
and I hear just like this chugging noise and forestry service snowplows are making their way up the path and they were just clearing the snow and I half jokingly just like sitting on my pack in the snow I just stuck out a hitchhiker's thumb and they stopped and they're like you want to ride I was like yeah yeah and they're like we can only get you halfway down the mountain and then we have to like do our plow route I was like that's that's more than enough and yeah we like got all the way down checked into this little hostel there were shield maidens worried about us and then the two other guys we were um hiking with one of them was named Swissfoot because he also got trench foot um and what had happened is they made it to the road and had to call in for somebody to like come pick them up and like take them to town and then they told that person that we were behind them so they're like yeah snowplows picked up those last two hitchhikers in the smoky mountains and that was that was something where like you get to town and you tell this story and like, I'm telling what happened to the snowplow driver and he goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A guy died last year doing that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, cool facts. Thanks for that one. And so like, it wasn't like that cold, but yeah, it's one of the things you realize in these remote areas, you, you know, just going out alone, it's snowy, it's icy. You don't know what the terrain's going to be flip and you're out. Right. Right. And one, two, seven, before we go to break, just a, a quick, uh, quick question. Um, you, you've mentioned multiple times shelters and the open mm-hmm. face shelters. I know there's a lot of shelters along the AT and they're spaced about at distances that, you know, after a day's hike, you, know, you stop at the next shelter. Is that, is that the, the technique that you used? Did you spend most of your nights in a shelter or did you bring, did you also have, uh, if you had to camp uh, outside of a shelter, did you have the, the gear to do that? Yeah, so I always had a tent with me, um, and to be honest, I didn't use it, like, a ton. <laughs> uh, it, it was dead weight for the most part, but when I did need it, I did have it. Um, but, yeah, the shelters are just easier. You know, sometimes after a long day's hike, you don't really want to find, like, a flat piece of ground um, and, like, roll everything out. Sometimes it's easier, especially, uh, like, going south when there's not a lot of people. Like, I only encountered maybe one full shelter. People going north there's horror stories of like just crowds of people just tented all around an already full shelter. So going South, I didn't have that problem. So it was easy for me to show up at a shelter, not worry about how much space there was going to be, flop everything out, unroll all my stuff. You can kind of, you know, uh, the through hikers will call it like looking at their toys where you just unpack everything in your bag and just kind of like look at it, (laughs) you know, like what food do you have? Like, did your sleeping bag get wet? You know, did a mice chew through your food sack that you didn't notice, you know? Um, uh, so I, yeah, I definitely did shelters, but I would not recommend anybody thinking of doing the AT to, to, to think they can just shelter bounce the entire time. Um, you're going to come across either weird mileage or a full hostel where, you, you know, sometimes they let you camp outside or a full shelter and you're going to want a plan B. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got a unique top five list for one, two, seven to answer. So stay tuned. For oh boy. That. More top five. Hey, this is Jeff Hester from SoCalHiker.net. And when I'm not out backpacking in the mountains or hiking, day hiking out in the Cascades, I'm listening to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. And welcome back. 
as promised, I've got a top five list here for one, two, seven that I don't think that I've asked anybody else before. So this is, this is a first time for us here. So one, two, seven, I want to ask, what would the one, two, seven who steps off the trail in Georgia, what advice would he have for the one, two, seven, just stepping onto the trail uh, up at Mount Katahdin? What, what are the top five if we can get to five, maybe it's three, but if you have five, what are the top five pieces of advice that experienced hiker, experienced AT hiker, one, two, seven would talk, would share with a newbie, uh, AT hiker, one, two, seven. That, that's a great one. That's a great one, doc. Um, and I've, I've thought about this a lot and I've kind of been practicing with it where like, you know, I, I think I can relay the same piece of, of advice that I have been, you know, you tell other people who are interested in these long trails. Um, First one, not a piece of advice, just a word of a reassurance. Um, it's not that I, I ever really doubted my ability to do this, but I, I think when I started out, you know, first time through hikers, late season, southbound in Maine, I guess like northbounders are, are there's a bit of like a, a narcissism of subtle differences between the two groups where northbounders are so more than happy to tell you you haven't seen the worst of it. And so like, Climbing Katahdin, they would tell us, like, this is the hard, like, this is a hard climb. Don't rush it. And then on the top of Katahdin, they're like, just wait until 100-mile wilderness. And then 100-mile wilderness, they said, wait until southern Maine. And then in southern Maine, they told us, wait for Mahusik Notch. And then Mahusik Notch, they told me, wait for the whites. And then in the whites, they told me, wait for Pennsylvania. And then in Pennsylvania, they said, wait for uh, Virginia. And at a certain point, it's like, it would have been like, like, an, like an experience to me if I could come down and just be like, no, you are going to make it, you know, like, like they've struggled, but like, and you will too, but you're going to make it. Um, that would be my first one. It's just like, just a statement of, yeah, reassurances. Like, yeah, you're out here. Like, you can do this. You will do this. Uh, number two, get that base weight down, boy. Uh, I started with a heavy pack. I had heavy gear. I, you know, like we said, I saw the $700 10 ounce tent and I said, no. And I stuck with what I had, which was, which was, is good. It is fantastic advice for people starting, uh, through hikes and, you know, outdoor adventuring, start with what you have. But, um, I brought a lot of stuff I didn't need. I had books, <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to be reading <laughs> on the trail i got through 100 mile wilderness and just like just these waterlogged soggy books just got rid of those so yeah it was one of the things i i wish i wish a more experienced me could just kind of look at the gear i had and say like you i promise you you're not using this like like i had envelopes that i thought i was going to send like letters home the envelopes got water damaged and then the sticky stuff sealed itself by the time i took the envelopes out to use them they were already closed <laughs> um so little stuff like that uh number three uh you know this one's up for debate uh no boots um i started with boots i loved the boots i fought for the boots people would uh criticize my boots and i would tell them why i loved my boots um but after you know blowing through them and getting a new pair of kind of trail runners uh ultra lone peaks those are great shoes. Um, and, and so the boots really were, they were happy. They did what they needed to do, but I don't know if they were worth the, the weight. Um, 
Let's see, number four. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's see, a lot of it, but um, let's see. I was going to save this one for the last one. This is, this is going to be a weird piece of advice, and, and maybe it'll lead into a pro tip of the week, is a lot of people will ask what type of training they need to do for the Appalachian Trail. And the answer is it's mostly mental. If you can walk for an entire day, if your pack isn't too heavy, if you're, you can physically hike the AT. What it comes down to is, are you able to eat the same food every day? And are you able to be sore and tired and not want to get out of bed, but then still get out of bed? And this is like my weird piece of advice boiled down is a lot of people will say, if you want to hike the AT, wear a backpack with 40 pounds and do a Stairmaster, which is kind of a physical challenge. My sort of mental challenge for it is if you want to know what the AT is like, especially for people not used to humidity, is in the morning, take a cold shower, and then you're not allowed to use a towel. You're, you, you can air dry, you can put your clothes on, but every day, just, just put your socks on when your feet are still wet. And if that frustrates you, that is every day on the trail. And you're going to have to get over that mental hump. Um, and so that's, that's definitely a piece of advice I would, uh, I would uh, suggest. That's Man, awesome. I, I have not heard that piece of advice before with that. That is awesome. That's great. I know that my buddy uh, Chopper, and when we were preparing for our, our hike of the JMT, he practiced by pooping in the backyard for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, you'll get to the trail and people will be setting up their tent for the first time. And like, the astonishing thing though, is like those people will finish because they don't know, like when the going gets tough, like that's the norm to them. But um, let's yep. see, last piece of advice. Um, not so much like an advice, but I, again, like a, a, a reiterant, I kept a journal on the AT and that is extremely important to me. Um, I filled two journals. They're just simple kind of uh, like, you know, no lines or anything journals I got from a Walmart for like four bucks. And I filled two of those with just like when I could write just little details. And it's one of those things where when I mailed the first one home, it, it's my dad's favorite thing is, you know, my parents read and that, and, and that was it. You know, my parents were very supportive. They would send me food in the mail. They'd, you know, like they'd understand that I can't like call them every day. They were, they were super supportive, but being able to like send them that journal and for them to read just kind of like what I was doing and who I was meeting. My dad loves the idea of trail names, just like these strangers that I share like great moments with for one day and I don't even know their name. And like, he loves the idea of that. And so like, yeah, like, like, like take a journal. Um, you don't need to fill it every day, you know, but it's important to, a lot of the, the key moments I remember are the things that I like, I wrote, I wrote down, I put them on paper and I'm able to revisit them. Um, and so that's definitely a key one is like, I have weird mementos from the AT, but they mean the most to me. Like I wore the same Hawaiian shirt the entire trail. Um, it is torn to shreds. I patched it. I took it to a seamstress in Connecticut 
and like apologized profusely as she patched it for free. Um, I duct taped it. I wrote on it with Sharpie. It is tatters and shreds. It's not even a shirt anymore, but I wore it to the end as just like this stubborn symbol of like where I started. And it is kind of fun to look back at the photos of like, ah, that shirt was new. And then at the end, I'm like, I look like a barbarian. <laughs> well, that's um, great advice. Yeah, there you I, go. There you I, go. That's, 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 that's fantastic. Fun. Fantastic advice. I hope that uh, some future AT hikers are, are tuning into this episode and, and taking furious notes on what uh, experienced 127 would have said to his less experienced self. So thank you for that. That's great. I'm still gaining experience. There's things that like this summer, 127 would say to last summer, 127. Nice. That's life, you know? Yep. That's life. So what happened after you got off the AT? Was it uh, Um, it tough kind of readjusting to normal society? And and, uh, I understand you had a speaking engagement afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So um, right after the AT, I stayed with Big Chicken's family. Um, So I finished on Christmas Eve. Uh, 2018 and um is one of those things that we we had to be done by christmas big chicken's parents absolutely said so we had to be home for christmas and um and actually like right on the edge of georgia there's a hospital and we got stuck there for three days in hailstorms. you know we would go out and we'd get like maybe 10 miles and we'd hit the next major interstate and just be being pelted with hail and we'd have to call the hospital and be like listen listen, we'll pay you. Like, please, please bring us back. Like we'll pay for another night. No problem. Um, so did that. And then spent Christmas with big chicken family, uh, shield maiden, her flight back to Australia was out of Los Angeles. So her and I kind of decided, well, we don't have any flights because we didn't know the day we would finish. And so we actually rented a car and drove all the way across the country in like seven days. Um, and we stopped along the way, you know, uh, we stopped by, uh, you know, went through Colorado, you know, showed her Fort Collins, kind of my hometown, um, stopped by uh, my girlfriend's parents' house uh, in Kansas. Um, we went to Death Valley because we could, you know, I was just like, you ever been, you know, we, we looked at the Grand Canyon and we we're just like, yeah, Grand Canyon. And then the next day I was like, you want to go Death Valley? <laughs> we're like, yeah, Death Valley. Uh, we went to Sequoia and Kings Canyon. Um, we just kind of like, yeah, petered our way across the country, got to Los Angeles. Um, a few days later, bid her adieu. Um, there's that, but yeah, that, a, bit, a big thing. That is an epic. That's like back to back epic trips. I mean, you basically went north to south across the the uh, mm-hmm. the, the vertical height of the country, and then and then you go east to west across the the horizontal width of the country. That's incredible. Yeah, and and the thing is, like you know, we still only had our backpacking clothes, so we were we were you know, like our first stop was New Orleans. <laughs> So we're in New Orleans and I am wearing um, just this the tattered, you know, Hawaiian shirt with a puffy over it. And Shield Maiden's got her like kind of hiker trash uh, Hawaiian t-shirt and just like these hiking shorts are, you know, our knees are just like bruised and bloodied. We're like dirty as hell. And we're just like wandering around New Orleans like, yeah, <laughs> jet. And so like we did that and then we go to Death Valley and there's like, you know, like families of tourists and we just pull out of this like, like we rented like the smallest car we could because it was the cheapest and best at like miles per gallon. And so we like hop out and this car is just spilling with just like hyper trash, just fumes. And we've been sleeping in it. Like, and it, it, we're just like, yeah, Death Valley. And people are like, what? Who, what, who are you? Um, 
so that but um but yeah that uh, the uh speaking engagement after the at i uh during the at i did send mail home uh a few letters but one thing i did is um at the old elementary school i went to one of the teachers my family is like family friends with and familiar with um every year she does this project where she asks people to send her kids postcards the students postcards and kind of show them like what do other states look like? What do other countries look like? Like what do places look like? You know, kind of like it, it, it's a, a more interesting way to learn about geography and the world and culture. And so I sent a postcard from every state on the Appalachian Trail and, you know, with little stories and weird, quick blurbs and a state fun fact and a hiking fun fact. And when I got back, she invited me to speak with the kids. And so I put on my entire hiker gear and uh, brought in a few pieces of gear. So like, you know, my sleeping bag stuffed into a, a you know, it's stuffed back the size of like a, a soccer ball, the Sawyer squeeze. What I did is I just put some some dirt in a bottle of water and shook it up. And they're like, you, and then you put the Sawyer squeeze on it and you drink straight from it. That is amazing to fourth graders. They love that stuff. And that's really the thing is like the outdoor community and like the outdoor world and outdoor gear, is, it's amazing. Like people love this stuff. And so it was really awesome to tell them about all my stories. Like I'm telling uh, everybody here listening to the pod and show them some of my cool gear. And again, you know, growing up just outside of Los Angeles, these are kids who maybe they've been camping, you know, um, but they've never been to the East Coast. They don't know what, you know, the White Mountains are like. They don't know, um, you know, like what Maine might be like and what, you know, some of them haven't even seen snow. And I walked through it for like, three months that's that's but, incredible uh, that, what, what, what an experience to be able to relate to fourth graders uh kind of what, what you went through and and just kind of open up that whole new world to them i mean how many how many future hikers did you just create right there yeah and and that's something i think about is you know i think about when i was a kid and i did outdoor stuff and looking back people think i was a boy scout like people assume i was a hardcore boy scout and i never was like i was never a boy scout i just kind of stumbled into this life and so it's one of the things where like you know like some kid might remember like that weird dude with the really smelly torn up Hawaiian shirt that says dry feet are a myth across the back of it and he's gonna think like mom dad like like can I like can I go to the woods like like can I go to the creek to look for frogs can I ride my bike on this dirt trail and like that's the start like that is the start right there it was the start for me and that's really all you need um but yeah, afterwards, you know, the, they had a little assignment. So they all wrote me a little thank you letter with what they remember from my talk. And some of those letters are like unintentionally the funniest things I've ever read. Just <laughs> what kids remember and how they connect ideas. Like one of them says, like, like, I was impressed about how you ate ramen every day, because if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. <laughs> like, like, like that, that's the funniest, like that is comedy right there is yeah like you know i have my stories and then when i tell them to people what what they pull out of it yeah i actually thought that was going to be your piece of advice one of your pieces of advice to yourself was not about uh you know taking the shower and the cold shower in the morning and not being able to dry off i thought you were leading up to eat the same thing for three months have the same exact thing for lunch the same exact thing for dinner for three months that'll prepare you for the mental game of doing the at yeah, I, well, I, I did kind of do that. I, um, but as I was leaving, I came across this little thread that was just like, oh, the average AT hiker loses 15 pounds. And at the time, I weighed 147. 
And I was like, I don't have 15 pounds to lose. And so for like the better part of a month before I left, I was getting uh, Little Caesars $5 pizzas <laughs> and whatever, like the most dense stout beer I could get at the local brewery. And I would just eat like half a pizza and drink like a pint of thick, dark beer. And I'd be like, I'm putting pounds on for the hike, you know? And my roommate at the time was like, are you good? Like, do you need groceries? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to pack pounds. <laughs> and I just, I just couldn't do it. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can't, you can't go in light onto your AT hike. You gotta, you gotta have some of that. You gotta have a, a spare tire to help you get through the, the tough, the tough times. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, to be honest, I didn't gain any weight, uh, <laughs> but with, with that, I, I, I stayed kind of the same weight, but man, uh, one last piece of advice. If you do a through hike, just, just for funsies, take a picture of your body before and after just for funsies. Not, not everyone's going to have like a huge transformation, but like, like, boy, my legs looked amazing, but boy, did my collarbone look like a skeleton. And it's just like, it's just interesting to see how the body morphs based on what you're doing and what you need. You know, like athletes all look different. And it, it's like watching the body become like, you know, a fast hiking skeleton is a wild transformation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, what's next for 127? Any, any interest in doing, uh, you know, the PCT and the CDT becoming a, a triple crowner? Oh, oh boy. what, what isn't next doc? Like, I, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of your listeners and your guests is I, I think a lot of people get a taste for this stuff and it, it opens up just a whole new world. PCT. Absolutely. PCT is definitely on the list. In fact, PCT is probably going to turn into the Pacific Northwest trail, which goes to Olympia from or Olympia to Glacier. And then, you know, like this is just crazy hiker brain, but Glacier is where the CDT starts. So why don't I just go south? At that point, you're looking at a, a, insane amount of miles and it's you know audacious to think i'm going to be doing this in one year but like they all connect and that's like so exciting to me uh colorado trail um i was supposed to do the colorado trail with red this past summer um and then instead we did the 14er project um which was still just so amazing to do with her um so yeah you know i didn't do all the 14ers so there's still a few more of those i gotta get on speaking of new zealand there's the Teoroa which is uh, all the way from the southern tip of the South Island to the north tip of the North Island. Uh, that's an entire walking trail. New Zealand is super travel friendly. Um, you don't even need to do just like the walking trail. Like, like it, just show up with a backpack. You can hitchhike anywhere you want. Um, there's great places. It's safe. It's friendly. It's, it's an amazing place to travel. If you're able to get down to New Zealand, I highly recommend it. Um, other things... There next, like honestly, when I listen to podcasts, including yours, I, I think about you know the these Japanese kind of pilgrimage trails. Absolutely interested in those uh, caminos in Spain. Why not? Uh, even when I was on the AT, you'd be at a hostel and you'd pick up a book and it'd be like, "Have you heard of the Jerusalem Trail?" And it's just like this simple trail, kind of following like the path of Jesus. And I'm not all that religious, but it's just like it's another thing to do. It's another place. It's another group of people. It's another culture to to explore. And so really what isn't next? Nice. Nice. Now, if you, if you're going to do the PCT, I've got a great book for you. I just, uh, just had on the, on the pod, uh, Barney Scout man, 
who wrote a PCT memoir titled Journeys North about his 2007 trip. And it was incredible. It was written from not only his, his first person perspective when it was, was he, it was him and his wife, but also he did so many interviews, extensive interviews after, uh, during and after the trip that he kind of gave you the third person perspective of, you know, he kind of dropped in uh, on all these, these hikers, you know, who were ahead of him, who were behind him and just did a fantastic job of giving you the real, the real feel for what it's, it's like to do the, uh, the entire 2,600 miles from Mexico to Canada. So journeys North, make sure you check it out. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll add that to my reading list. All right. going to end with a question here. And what, what did you learn about yourself after doing the AT or while doing the AT? What did 127 learn about 127? Oh, man, we, we could, I don't know, we could explore that one. I'm still learning stuff about myself. But really, I am, I am capable of a lot. Not that I, I didn't think I was capable, but there, there is something to be said about um, like going out there and doing things. And even if you think you are able to do them, like there's something about just just putting yourself out there and feeling accomplished, you know, discovering something new. Um, and really, you know, again, this is going to come from like a, like maybe a little bit of like a, a like a masochist angle, but like, like to, to struggle teaches you so much. Um, it, I think it's hard to really learn things about you when you're comfortable and cozy and, like sure and stable and there's something that kind of taps into that that deep human psyche when you're outside and you're interacting with nature and you're a little bit hungry and you're kind of thirsty and you drink from the stream and it's one of the things where like some of that stream water is the worst you've ever had and some of it's the best water you've ever had and that's really being out there and interacting with the world and so what I learned about myself I think can be summed up in like Yeah, like like I am able and I'm comfortable pushing my limits and it's good to be comfortable. It's good to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Well put, well put. Is that your pro tip inside of the week as well? Because that's where we yeah. are. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've given some good tips on this one, Doc. You have. Um, here, you have. I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up. Pro tip of the week. Go outside. You know, um, I think, especially in the current conditions, a lot of people have felt cooped up. A lot of people have felt unsure, maybe trapped. They're unsure about school, work, their job. You know, they're longing for something more. I think a lot of people miss travel, going places, meeting people. Um, and you can do that. You can start by going outside, explore your backyard, explore those small trails, go to a park, you know, look at birds. You know, you don't need to learn the names and the calls of everything, but just, just go out there. Just look at birds. Um, you know, something I like to do is just kind of take note. Like, it's always fun every once in a while when you notice praying mantises kind of hatch. You know, like, like the natural world is really complex. And it's one thing to kind of go to, like, the big views and get the great picture of, like, quintessential natural areas. And it's one thing to really understand where you live and how you interact with it. That is a solid pro tip of the week. Thank you very much, <laughs> 127. 
So there you have it. That's it. Episode 49 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with 127. And I want to thank him for joining us this week. 127, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, I don't have too much of a social presence. I've been, you know, kind of shying away from all that. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram. It's s.mclean, M-C-L-E-A-N, dot 127. All right. Very good. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmirror at gmail.com. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself, right? One, two, seven. Sounds about right. Okay. That's a wrap from the John Freakin' Mirror studio. Any final thoughts? No, no, it was a good one. Uh, sorry if I kept you a little long. I hope people enjoyed the stories and, uh, you know, if needed, skip around the podcast, listen to it at two times speed or something. Uh, don't, yeah, don't, don't skip too far because I think this is <laughs> jam-packed with some, some solid material. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your leg is stuck between two logs and you're all by yourself. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.